Hey everyone, welcome to Tizrin Tequila Talk. So, how are you, Kila? Um, I think you know how I am since we live together and we're together day and night. <laughs> Literally, we have been in lockdown for how many weeks? Oh, I've lost count now. Yeah, and we look like trash, don't we? <laughs> I've seen the state of my eye facts. He's mainly referring to me because I don't go a day without makeup on, but recently for the past few weeks, I haven't been wearing any makeup. So him and my mum were saying that I look dead. Lockdown has made us very, very... Ugly looking. <laughs> no, lazy and... Cat- fat. Oh my God, I've gone so fat as well. I've got a belly, like, wobbly, wobbly, wibbly, wibbly. <laughs> and you as well, I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> I know, same. Literally, I eat ice cream all night. Hagen does salted like caramel ice cream. And he makes favorite. me food at night time, blessing me And so she hasn't sweet. made me it once during night time. But yeah, you do make iftar food, which is... When we finish our fast food, which is really nice. She made a nice lasagna. I thought yesterday. I'd lose like loads of weight, but I didn't lose any weight while we're fasting. I think I gained weight while fasting. How can how can one say that? Gained weight while fasting. <laughs> no, lost weight. I thought I'd lose weight. No, but we've gained weight though. Yeah, no, that's yeah, I don't know why that's happened. So for the episode on Gandil Baloch, we didn't um introduce ourselves. We kind of just jumped straight yeah. in, didn't we? <laughs> yes. But yeah, let's do a little introduction. So we are siblings. Oh yes, I'm the eldest. Yeah. I'm the nice one, sweet one, funny one, and he's the annoying, <laughs> irritating young one. I'm the one that everyone loves, the apple of the family. What do you call that? Yeah, the, the apple is it the apple. The heart of the family. Yeah. The, <laughs> the apple of the family. But yeah, um Tequila's the oldest, but she looks the youngest. I think I'm the youngest, but I look the oldest. I'm Six foot three. That's huh. why you look older. And I blame your height beard. and beard. And with a big beard. Oh, let's mention how much of a gorilla you are as well. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our Facebook page and Instagram if you want to see images of us. But yeah, we've got it on the podcast. <laughs> um, yes, we do. <laughs> oh Guys, I'm going to share a funny story with you. He's going to kill me for telling you this, no, but it was so funny. So this week, guess what he did? We were both racing to run to the toilet and he fell and he whacked his head on the door. It was absolutely hilarious. I'm a walking you had to be pattern. there. I'm literally a walking And then pattern. he fell again. He fell so many times this week as he was running to my bedroom. He fell again. And the worst thing is, it's because he's a giant and he makes a loud thud noise. So he wakes up the whole family. And they all get really scared. What's happened? What's happened? What's happened? <laughs> this giant over here. Because I'm just falling. Even when I'm on my own in my room, I'll literally randomly stamp on... Do you know that plug bit? And What's that thing called? Yeah, the, the socket. The, yeah, the socket. Yeah, <laughs> I stamp on that and it kills. But um, yeah, I'm just a walking hazard. So guys, we're really excited to be creating this podcast. Yeah, we are super excited. So please join our Facebook page. Follow us on all our socials. Please, we're... Yeah, we are really excited to see where everything goes. But shall we dig right into Banaz? Oh yeah, let's start talking. So before we begin, we just want to say that this case is something that really did hit close to our hearts. It really made me upset and livid. It is a very, very sad one, everyone. So please bear with us while we talk about this. It's actually horrifying how that young girl had to go through unimaginable things. We will delve into this today and explore how and why this young woman was murdered in such a horrific manner. The information that we will be discussing today has come from documentaries, news reports, articles. There's some really amazing documentaries which will be put down below. What about you, Keila? What do you think? 
Um, I will be echoing the same sentiments as Tizzy's, of course. It's really horrifying case, which we'll be delving in today. The horrible ordeal that she had been subjected to. I cannot begin to fathom how terrified she must have been. It really brought tears to my eyes when watching this. As a young Asian woman, I can sympathise with the pressures that she did face, which we will unravel as we further dig into the case. Yeah, it's by the way, it's not phantom, it's phantom. Phantom, phantom. This is what he's going to be doing throughout. He'll be correcting. Oh, Correcting Tequila's grammar. Yeah, sorry. It's not, you... to, it's not up, up to his standards. It's because he's got a first and now he feels no, like he's a bit don't smarter tell than me. Don't he tell feels anyone. like he's a bit smarter than me. I don't me. want anyone to know. Okay. I want, I want to keep this to ourselves. <laughs> sorry, it's out there now. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing you need to know about me, guys. I don't hold back. Yeah, she's got some. She's I have got, no filter, basically. She's got a unique sense of humour. I've which... got a good sense of humour. I'm like Jenny Marbles. I should have been the next Jenny Marbles, but unfortunately. Jenny Mar- I love Jenny Marbles. But it didn't work out for me, but there you are. Okay. So to begin, let's talk about the character of Binaz. She was a really calm and quiet person. She wanted people to be really happy. She did not like arguments or people exclaiming their voice. She wanted a happy life. She just wanted a family. And I think she seemed, looking at the video clips online that there are, she seems like a really kind and gentle young girl. She was born on 16th of December, 1985. Benaz moved to the UK from Iraq with a family in 1995. She had four sisters and a brother, as well as extended family members. She moved to England at the age of 10 with a family. She was arranged to marry at the age of 17 to her family's friend from their small town in Iraq. Someone who was really central to this case was Bikal Mahmood. Bikal Mahmood is the sister of Benaz. And she has said that Benaz's nickname was Naska. Um, It means softness and delicate. This highlights the character of Benaz. She was innocent, caring, and she had that kind of kindness that was really pure. Bikal in, the do- in one of the documentaries appears underneath a veil. This is due to her being in hiding after the testifying against her family. Benaz had long eyelashes. She had hazel eyes, a really dumpling-like chin. Her sister describes her as beautiful, and she is. Like, if you look at images, isn't she, Keila? She's really, see. really pretty, yeah. She's really That's pretty. That's really, very beautiful. Like, very beautiful. She's like a sweet little teenager. Yeah, she was she had so the features young. Of a young because she was so young, wasn't she? She was only wasn't she only around twenty? That's 20 like years my old, yeah. age. That's literally like really young. Um, she seems like someone. Benaz seems like someone that you'd see on a night out, like she's a run, like or just going shopping, that kind of individual. She the thing with honor killing victims, they don't look a particular type of way. They are completely normal young women but they find themselves in extremely dangerous circumstances. In countries where women, have, like in Iraq, Iran, Middle Eastern countries, women have such a diminished amount of rights. They have absolutely no rights in some places. They're very oppressed and suppressed. Super oppressed. Like, it is the women's movement that is... Like, only recently have women been able to learn how to drive in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. That's a progressive move, but... In women in places like Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, women completely have very little rights. This extends to whether it's custody, divorce, choosing one's partner, and even the controlling of a woman's sexuality. 
the sisters had actually experienced this controlling of sexuality early in life. The younger sister, Bichal, saw an enormous blade in her father's coat one day. She describes in the documentary as her sister being dragged into a room in which there was in which she was subjected to female genital mutilation. She says that she heard screaming. I I can't even imagine. That's absolutely gruesome. In, in the middle of the night hearing screaming and how scared they must have been. Imagine frightened. imagine you're you're just like in asleep and someone drags you in a room in the middle of the night with an enormous blade. And How can someone do that to their own daughter? But the thing is, this isn't an isolated incident. It's not a one-off. This happens so much in... It's a very tribal thing, is female genital mutilation. It happens in... It, 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 in but it's Rome. not spoken about as much. Yeah, it's, I don't, it's not a tribal thing. It's a cultural thing, sorry. But yeah, it's not spoken about as much. Um, so she heard. She says that she heard her, her screaming and her and her cousin, Bechal and her cousin, ran out of the room where Benaz was being mutilated, genitally mutilated, there was absolutely no sedation. So that means there wasn't anything to block out the pain. pain. They wanted her to feel all the pain. Her sister, she was wide awake. Apart from the youngest daughter in their room, all of the other sisters were circumcised. This is an insane cultural practice in which a young woman has her genitals deliberately cut. This is super dangerous. Women not only suffer extreme pain when they go around to childbirth and going on to have sexual relations, but it's also incredibly damaging to their mental health. It is rightfully illegal in the UK, but there are backstreet versions of this. As we've seen with the case of Benaz's family, they were in the UK. This is insane. It is a way to control a woman's sexuality, and it's horrifying. It's done to keep a woman from having pleasure during sex. It's a very early warning sign that they don't deserve pleasure. Any sort of happiness, pleasure, mm-hmm. or anything. They don't. Yeah, that's the kind of message that they're sending to their daughters. The vile men. Absolutely vile. It's, it's, it's the patriarchy at its finest. It's the ultimate control over a woman. You, you want her to just be an object that doesn't feel anything but pain. That is... There's just no words to describe just, how. No, carry on. There's just no words to describe how horrific. But just to clarify, this is. isn't a religious practice. It's not something that Islam has anything to do with. It's only male circumcision that Islam talks about. But female genital mutilation—it's a crime against women. It's not. It's not. It's a mutilation. It's not a pr- accepted at all in religion. It's a cultural thing for men to control the bodies of women. Benaz moved to the UK from Iraq with her family in 1995. She was 10 years old with four sisters and a brother, as well as a lots of extended family members. There is little known about her early life. Benaz's teacher said that Benaz was really soft, nurturing. She had grown up struggling with a clash of cultures. So when we talk about the clashes of the cultures, we can really relate with this, can't we? Like, there's definitely a clash between our culture... Our culture and Western yeah. culture. Where we are Western culture, I consider myself way more on the Westernized spectrum on the other, but we still have that clash, clash don't we? 
What kind of ways have you experienced that, Tequila? Have Sleeveless you... clothes, which I always <laughs> talk you... about in every single said. episode, which I will be talking about. Yes, yeah, so to a westernized person, it'd be okay, acceptable to wear sleeveless clothes, but as a British uh, agent, I can't wear sleeveless traditional clothes. traditional Pakistani parents yeah. were not, yeah, like even just say with me, like I have to, do you know what? You can stay out late at night. I can't stay out late at night. But that's the thing, like, I can't tell them. Like, I can, mum's cool with me doing that. That's male privilege at its finest. Mm -hmm. But mum's cool with me, like, but I have to lie to my dad. Oh my God, imagine if he sees this. But I have to, like, kind of lie sometimes. You have to, I feel like Asian kids wear the best lies if you have strict parents because, because then... You have to learn how to lie. If you don't know how to lie, you ain't gonna survive. Literally, like, the amount of spa days I've been on when really I've been on nights out <laughs> and just say it was far oh, oh daddy we're just studying in the library not really <laughs> doing an all-nighter in the library yeah You're not really on over the next day <laughs> this is why i say westernized people are so privileged they just don't get how privileged they are the simple things that they oh it's nothing just like kissing for example yeah that that is as we are going to come through like that is something that we, is definitely taken for granted like just being able to express yourself openly with your friends and family even the lgbtq like that's a massive thing as well big clash like it's just there's just so much that do you know when our for when our parents come over here they don't just bring they don't just bring their bodies they bring their way of life don't they oh yes definitely <laughs> and, and it's such a clash when you're it's and you can't escape no but i think it's something that is dying out i think it for my from my own personal yeah, experience but look at dad i see for, it dying out i'm sorry i'm gonna interrupt you again i keep no, interrupting fine. him it's fine. like dad for example like when i was younger he wouldn't let me wear jeans this yeah, was like years ago I, about I 10, 10 15 years ago i was not but now he doesn't care well obviously i've had one of the house <laughs> naked always sleeveless clothes but <laughs> But I can get away with wearing jeans. <laughs> Dad's giving up with those. He's just like, yeah. let him okay. do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me. Yeah. But yeah, like I see it with, I 10 years ago, I was never allowed to have a sleepover with my girl. I wasn't even allowed to go on a trip. Insane. That is insane. But now I went traveling around America by myself. Well, with my best friend, Dashna. But I was on my own. Didn't have any family with me, I mean. But I went traveling around America. I went to... I I go and I can stay at my friend's house sometimes, but now their parents... Oh, are... look at you. I can't do that. I still can't do that, guys. Can you believe that? And I'm nearly 30. No, but I'm not allowed there anymore because their parents won't let me because of what people <laughs> might say. Because that is such a big thing, you are. What people might say. That is... What what do people think if this boy's going to... We have no... We're just friends and... They always care about the image and how they're going to be perceived in the community exactly Benasta didn't have any social network with no friends at all with what we have researched Benasta's father is Mahmoud 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 yeah Mahmoud Mahmoud and we'll the... call him Mahmoud Mahmoud <laughs> Mahmoud squared <laughs> and is the eldest of the brothers and Adi is the younger brother Adi has power of the family as he's the most wealthiest he man. had money like he was rich and when you have money you have power like he had a lot of power within the community. And like we say, when you have money, money talks. Yeah, definitely. When our forefathers came to England, they brought over their culture. For a lot of men, they lost a lot of their status. It was hard for the men to acknowledge this loss in power. So these men took refuge in what are established cultural norms. Intensification of a need to retrieve this dignity, which was to take control of their sisters and wives. Oh my God. 
that is literally so prevalent because these men, when they came over here, they're in the villages. Men had ultimate power. Men had so much power in where they were. They had so much status. But when they came over to England, they lost that. They lost this kind of status that they had. So in their own disturbed kind of disturbed kind of mentality, they took comfort in these kind of already established cultural norms, which were oppression over women. The women weren't really, the women didn't really have this kind of clash, like, they didn't have this kind of clash that um, um, the Asian men had, because when women came over from Pakistan and other countries... The South Asian countries. Yeah, they gained a lot of freedom. They gained stuff that they didn't have, whereas men lost it. So they took control over their sisters and wives to establish that kind of power again. Bekal... As we said, we were talking about Bikal. She wanted to live life like a normal teenager. There were so many instances in which she, what things that she wasn't allowed to do. As I just said, women that come here have so much more autonomy. Rather, but then the men, it's much harder because the women they don't have to be like on their knees, hands and knees, obeying their men anymore like they would do in abroad. So then. It's really difficult for the generation growing up. Let me just point out, I want to paint a picture of how strict her household was. Becca Albanada's sister was wanted a life like a normal teenager. It's as I said, she wasn't allowed to have long nails, even wear perfume or even have eyelashes on. That's how strict her father was. I just can't even begin to imagine. That's absolutely ridiculous. Why? What is wrong with having long nails or wearing perfume? Mm. That is just normal. There's nothing abnormal about that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just reputation. It's all about reputation. In an individualistic culture in England, it's it is every individual is accountable for themselves. So if you do something, it's on you. If that's on you, but in a collectivist culture, when individuals come from Middle Eastern countries, they bring that collectivist culture in their community. And if a one individual steps out of line, then it reflects on the whole family. So Navir Afsal, who is an incredible man, he was a man who brought those in the grooming scandals to justice, which he, we love him, we love him. Oh, yes, we do. He describes this pressure as saving face. So it's about how you are perceived in the communities that you are residing in. If they have a non-conforming woman, this impacts badly on the whole community. And there's going to be consequences. Mm -hmm. In 2002, the family tried to restore their honour about with regards to Bekal. Bekal was persuaded by her brother to meet him. Like, he was very persuadable. Like, he, it's her own brother and he... Emotional blackmail. Definitely. Like, they wanted to meet and she he wanted to meet her, so he kind of tricked her. He hit her over the head with a dumbbell. Like, I can't even imagine just walking in a park or something and you're being hit by a dumbbell over the head. Thinking that you're going to meet your brother. Yeah, thinking... Someone that should love you, regardless. She was super panicky. She was kicking, screaming all over the place and she bit his arm as he was dragging her by her feet. Like, this is just like a scene from a horror movie. She was screaming at him, looking at him, saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? He actually stopped and 
Bechal describes this as he started crying like a little girl. That's what Bechal says. Um, and he was crying pretty profusely. And he actually said, I'm the big boy. I'm the big man. What even is this? Are you are you a peacock or something trying to show your feathers? What is wrong with you? He actually said, I have to do this. I have to put this shame to an end. That was his exact words. Their father paid his own son, Mahmoud Mahmoud, as we said, Mahmoud's word. Mahmoud, Mahmoud. paid his own son to kill his daughter as a result of her shaming him. What the actual, like, I can't... That just shows you the character of Mahmoud. He's just, he seems like a very... Vile, evil... They kind of see women as disposable, don't they? Like, they just can be thrown away. Discarded, like rubbish. So Bikal went into hiding and she didn't even report her brother about what happened. And this was this is all before Benaz. Like this this is just the backstory of what the family was like capable of. This is one of the reasons why that there's such a lack in statistics regarding honor related crimes like this. Because they, they don't get reported. No one sees them, do they? Yeah. So the official statistics are so unreliable. I think the victims don't want to report them because they feel that it's family. It's family. And if the family are the ones who are doing this, then they'll if keep loved it ones, yeah. If your loved and nearest and dearest loved ones can do this for you. Exactly. At the age of 17, Benaz was arranged to marry a man she only met once. His name was Ali. Literally came off the plan. F- plane. Plan. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote plan. <laughs> Literally came off the plane from Iraq. He was so much more older than her. I think about 10 years was 10, 15. Flat. I can't get over the flat. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep the sentence funny. Um, illiterate. <laughs> he was illiterate and didn't even speak a word of English. He was so old fashioned. Like he didn't, he firstly didn't speak English. Okay. He didn't adhere to any Western norms. He adhered to the Kurdish culture, like super strict, super backward. And these societies are very... Something called patrilocal. I learned a new word, guys. It's called patrilocal. What does that mean? So it's when a woman is married, she moves into the household of her husband's father. That's what... That's what all of us... That's what we do in Edgeland, the word that's patrilocal. And she lives with the relatives of her husband. So it's really isolating, considering you're alone, you're the only one, you're the outsider. So... There is this big pride in arranging good marriages. So I'm putting... It's just quote-unquote good marriages. These kind of marriages, they're not about the actual quality of the relationship between the husband and wife, but it's all about the status of the family and building that up. This is why she, she has to behave herself to keep the relationship between these two families strong. After two years of marriage in 2005, Benaz went to the police and said that she wanted to make a report about the way that her husband was treating her. He was really strict. Whenever he wanted to have sex, it was his way. That's her words. Whenever I said no, he wouldn't take no for answer. He would just start raping me. So he raped her in the kitchen. He raped her in the bathroom. And literally. He raped her. He threatened to kill her if she told anyone about what was happening. Benaz would cry so much and it would be... So hurtful. She said that Ali acted like nothing had happened. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with people? 
After two years of marriage in 2005, Benaz went to the police and said that she wanted to make a report about the way her husband was treating her. He was a strict husband. Whatever he wanted to have sex, it was his way. Whenever I said no, he wouldn't take no for an answer. He would just start raping me. So basically, he threatened to kill her if she told anyone about what was happening. Benaz would cry so much and be so hurt when she came from the bathroom. She said that Ali had acted like nothing had happened. What is wrong with this man? Mentally, to be in that state of mind, to pretend like you had not just beaten and raped this 17-year-old girl. I don't even know if that's illegal to be married at that age. I think it is, but it's insane. Mm -hmm. And to be so laissez-faire about this is infuriating. She was only 17. And what she says in the footage, which is online, she says, I was like his shoe and he would wear it whenever he felt like it. I think this is such a dehumanising statement. How could anyone be this evil? Ali just seems like ugh, a despicable human being. Just, ugh. You are my property. That's what he basically... That's what he thought. Like, who is raising these people? Like, how can you ra- how can how can you raise someone to think about that? You should raise your do- men to respect their women. It's just insane. He psychologically tortured her in so many ways, telling her that her family loved him more than her. And I think that is true as well. That is true as we're going to go into more detail. Seriously, how about you spend some time familiarising yourself with the English language than to torture a young, innocent woman, you pig. On one occasion, Benaz describes guests being over and she called Ali by his name. And in this culture, this is somehow a lack of respect. Oh my God, a lack of respect. How emasculated must you be and enshrined within this horrifying culture to be embarrassed about a name? I'm so sick of this. So after the guest left, he had said to her that if he ever calls him by his name, even if there were guests in the room, he threatened to stab her. He threatened to, like, no matter how far in the room she was from him, he'd stab her. Benaz tried to explain to him, we're living in the UK, it's just the name, but he wasn't having... He didn't say it like that, did he? No, he wasn't having any of it. She had said on the police footage, which was retrieved, that she had recorded each incident in the diary and had taken images of her bruises as evidence, but her husband destroyed the evidence. He was continuously degrading her, calling her skinny and ugly. Can you imagine having your own husband that's supposed to love you, calling Mm -hmm. you skinny and ugly? If someone would call me skinny and ugly, I'd be devastated and so upset for days. I couldn't. Like, it's just... What's that thing that harms your self of mind? Esteem. Yeah, self-esteem, not self of mind. Self-esteem. Like, she... It's mentally damaging... People don't understand how words can be really hurtful. It was physical, mental... Torture. 24 hours a day, she was degraded, basically. So basically, he was insinuating that she was worthless. She couldn't take it anymore and finally left him. He subjected to a lot of abuse mentally, physically. He went back time and time again, telling her family he was really abusive, used to rape her, beat her up, didn't treat her well, therefore wanted to divorce. But her family did not care at all because they did not want to bring any shame or humiliation on the family and told her to go back and be a good wife. Can you believe that your own daughter, your own flesh and blood, getting beat up and you're sending your daughter back 
he telling her to go back to the person that's beating her up and treating her like absolute crap. Mm. The police did nothing to follow up her allegations. It took them three months to write a statement for her just to sign. Three months after she complained. The level of negligence in this case from by the police is horrifying. This absolutely disgusts me. From the footage retrieved, you can clearly see a young girl distressed, vulnerable and emotionally destroyed. Like, what more evidence did they want? They should have followed it up. If someone's telling you that they're getting beat up, getting abused, you should have followed that up. Why would it take three months? It's just, a, it's just insane. She, it's not like they didn't have anything. It's not like, in usual cases, I feel like they are chasing for evidence. They are chasing for someone to come forward. She gave them everything on a platter, but they still didn't. They still ignore it. the signs. It's just that she was in great danger. Yeah, it's just. I know that the police and services they work really hard and they have so many cases not whatever but they still have to follow it up they That's still have to for. like they have you have like protocol for this um, but the worst thing is that you can clearly see in the footage that she's really really distressed and disturbed anyone can see that yeah they can it's horrible so that police officer should have been fired I, I think prosecuted. I think she had blood on her hands. She definitely. So yeah. we will come. We will discuss this in a bit. So Ali had kicked Benaz so much in the head that her ears and lips were bleeding. He also twisted her hand so hard that one of the bones you can actually see standing out from her wrist, and you clearly see this in the video. He damaged her memory. She had been kicked so much in the head that her actual memory was damaged. She has a loss of memory and she actually says that her ears bleed every time that she cleans them. This example was only one of so many times that he abused her. Banaz had kept this a secret from her family. She was trying to be a good wife, but eventually one of her sisters had found out and then the rest of the family did. Ali was challenged on this by the family and he was so unremorseful. Like he just acted like it it was like normal. He was just he was just getting an Oreo biscuit from the drawer or something. Like it was just it's not I'm not doing anything harmful. I'm yeah. just it's just what I should be doing. He said he was completely justified in his repeated rape and abuse. He admitted to raping her and said that he only rapes her when she says no. <laughs> well, that's what rape is, you pathetic excuse of a human being. Now, don't think that once her family found out that they were going to try and save her, they actually found all of the above acceptable and sent her back to try to, to, try to be a better wife. This is victim blaming victim i feel like we see there's a big trend isn't there in honor killing crimes where there's victim blaming they blame the victim and as we said with in the last case where we talked about kandil baloch like the murderer was actually the murderer was actually justified in him killing her wasn't he yes she wanted to leave him and this resulted on the community turning on her family and decision was made by male family members to not allow her to get a divorce. And and this resulted on their larger community turning on her family. A decision was made by male family members to not allow her to get a divorce and keep going back to him. It's always men who make these kind of decisions. And 
It's so sickening. Women are fully grown to make their own decisions. She was given no other choice but to go back to him. Eventually, she couldn't take any more of the, of the abuse. She made his dinner, set the table, and while she was sitting down and having coffee, he actually said to her, look at yourself in the mirror. How have you become so skinny and ugly? She called her mum, and even more derogatory words, she called her mum off of his phone and pleaded for a divorce. She packed a few of her things and left. In an interview, Banaz's father, Mahmoud, describes Ali as the David Beckham of son-in-laws. He thought so highly of him, even though he knew exactly what he was doing with her daughter. This meant that when Banaz left him, this brought so much shame on their family here and abroad. It was a massive deal. Women from communities that have this honour ethos, they're under so much surveillance. Any behaviour that they display as being not acceptable is fed back to the family. This extends to their makeup, hair, friends, every little thing. They don't have any freedom in many cases. They have such intense cultural pressures to conform to. There's a very big identity crisis. Men feel pressure to conform to this stereotypical oppressive role and to keep women in check. In one of the documentaries, Nazir Afsal mentions that one individual he spoke to said that men are gold and if you drop gold in mud, you can wipe it off. And women are silk. If you drop that in mud, it stains forever. This is the kind of virginity thing that women are seen. Like if they're, they're tainted in a way, aren't they? If you're not a virgin... You're yeah. seen as damaged goods. Yeah. But if you're a virgin, you're a precious little pearl. But the hypocritical thing is, is that nine times out of ten, they're not virgins themselves. The men. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. is disgusting. After she left her husband, Benaz met Rehmet, in which it started as a friendship, then went towards love. He loved her and respected her and adored her and treated her like a proper princess, as a husband should have done, but he didn't. The couple were allegedly besotted with each other. He was an outsider and wasn't within the family. She knew her family wouldn't accept them being together, so they used to meet discreetly. She lived on constant edge, fearing repercussions. Yep. After two months from visiting the police station, she was followed by her family members and men within the community. People in the community were following her. A man had actually said to her that come inside my car, like this community was very in everybody's business which was previously discussed that collectivism culture in which everybody speaks about and keeps an eye out on the woman yeah like that random guy randomly came up to him and was like come inside my car <laughs> why yeah. would she get inside your car you weirdo she didn't get in the car she didn't he was described as a lovely guy Banaz and Rehmed were planning on having kids raising a family they spoke every morning and every night it was real true love Banaz went to the police several times and she put herself at risk for doing so. After her death, a police complaint inquiry found no evidence of any effort made by the police at all to trace her husband or to track any case. It took them three months just to write up the statement that is so severe negligence. I can't believe that this isn't a really well-known case. It's actually insane. I know that the police and services are strained and stuff, but ha- whoever knew about Benaz's case and did not follow up or make any effort to even write up a statement, they played a role in her murder. They might not have physically killed her, 
but they did not prevent it from happening when they had the tools and opportunity to do so. It's like having, uh, it's like knowing that a bus is going to crash. You have the tools to correct that, but you're just going to let it sit back and let it happen. It's tragic and infuriating. The police missed all the signs. She kept saying, I'm in great danger. And one of the videos that you can see with her talking to the police, she was saying, what can you do for me? Like, if if someone said that today, there's so much that can be done. There's so many, like Carmen Nirvana, there's so many women's refuge. But then in the, in the past, there wasn't that. So the police were the, her only hope. They could have saved her, but they didn't. They missed all the signs. Yeah, they could have. They definitely missed it. She was spotted with her lover, Rahmat, in public, outside a public train station, Mobdun, in 2005, kissing. Someone in the community was very quick to put a phone call to the head of the family. Guess what I've seen your niece doing? And this was the catalyst for everything to follow and lead up to a series of events which ultimately led to her death. Following that, the men of the extended family were invited in which her uncle and said that he wanted Benaz to be killed. Shame, embarrassment and dishonour results in honour killings. These honour killings are very collective crimes in which this group of men had decided Benaz's fate. It was organised crime in which she was seen as a necessity to sacrifice her for the honour of the rest of her family. On New Year's Eve, Benaz was tricked into going to her grandmother's house in Wimbledon. Her father said, you have to come. And of course, she believed the father that there was going to be no ultimate reason. So she went. He made her bring her suitcase in the house. He forced her to drink brandy, forced to sit on the couch and stare at the screen. Her father said, don't look back. But she did. She saw him wearing blue rubber gloves coming behind her. He tried to grab her from the back, but she managed to run away from the door. She plunged her hand to the next door neighbor's window to get some help. She collapsed in the cafe hospital staff that dealt with her had said that they never had seen anyone that frightened in their life. Rehmet was contacted and she spoke in detail over the video about her ordeal. So they actually recorded videos, didn't they? They recorded footage at the hospital. And that would be used as evidence, didn't was it? Later down the line, it would be. Again, she went to the police station, but the female officer who interviewed Miss Mahmood about what happened dismissed her account as a fantasy and wanted to charge her with criminal damage for the break in the window. This makes me so livid. How incompetent and useless was this officer? If you believed it was a fantasy, you still would follow up such serious allegations. You had the radio footage. You had the blood. You saw her in hospital. How much more evidence did you need? Mm-hmm. As a police officer, your job is to serve and protect. The police usually wait until the person is killed, then they take it seriously. These officers should have fired, been fired immediately from their role of due diligence and incompetency. 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 So, yeah, like, this female police officer was so undertrained, ignorant, and... It's a, it's stupid. Like, I think it's just stupidity. Like she thought that Benaz was just drunk and making these fantasies. It's just horrifying. The female officer actually told Benaz's father, like, what? How could? That's like going to a domestic violence abuser and going to tell him about the complaint that the victim has made. What in God's earth? She literally gave the lamb to sort her and placed her in so much danger. She said that she believed Benaz drank too much and was making this story up. 
they went, they actually went to her home and interviewed her in front of her family, taking a statement in front of her family when she's making a complaint about her family is actually ludicrous. Benazi's case was one of the reasons that safeguarding is so prominent now. There was such a lack of training, education and such profound ignorance and recklessness. That female police officer, I don't know how she can look in the mirror. Blood is definitely on her hands. And do you know what's even worse, Tequila? Yes. When the police officer was asked to give evidence in court, she still stuck by her original account. She, oh she my didn't God. even admit. Can you believe that? It's ridiculous. She didn't even... Did she eventually get sacked or not? I think, I'm not sure if she got sacked, but... Yeah, they didn't reveal any information about what happened to the officers that... Yeah, I think they just that said... should have been held accountable. They just said there was an inquiry, like there was an investigative inquiry that happened. Like, that's all that they said, but they didn't say if anyone was actually held accountable. They, they just should said have, them, but they wanted to protect their own, didn't they? They said it as a collectivist, like it was a failure from the police. They didn't say it was a failure from this particular officer. She definitely should have been fired. Waste man. After Benaz came out of hospital, she stayed with Rahmat very briefly, but was tricked into going back home by her father. Her family arranged to meet her in McDonald's in Tooting. Her dad apologised and told Rahmat he should have not listened to his brother. They promised nothing would happen to her and convinced her to go home. But they lied. Benaz had actually said, if I run away, I'm dead. If I go home, I'm dead. She didn't... As a young woman, she couldn't contemplate that her family would actually kill her. She thought that her mother would protect her when she couldn't, when she actually couldn't. Her mother was helpless, was completely helpless. Somehow this kind of explains why she went back home. It sounds really crazy to us that she would go back home after everything had happened, but this was an isolated, vulnerable, mentally damaged, physically abused young girl. She didn't have anybody else as well, did she? Mm. Rahmat and Banaz did try and break up, but they were in love and they couldn't stay away from each other. This was so dangerous and it placed them both in incredible danger. Rahmat had reported Banaz missing on the 25th of January. Without him sounding the alarm, no one would have known about Banaz being missing. Her family insisted she had not gone missing and told police that they were progressive and embraced a westernised life, with the daughters free to come and go as they pleased. They suggested she had simply gone to stay with a friend. But obviously, as we know, that wasn't the case. When the police officers went to Benaz's house, they noticed something strange. No photos of Benaz at home. Like, why would you not have any pictures of your daughters at home? Her family had actually just wanted to erase her, didn't they? Oh, yes. Police records confirmed that weeks earlier, Benaz reported death threats from Ari. But the police did not investigate. It was only when Rahmad reported her missing that they went to the family home where Benaz's parents were adamant that she could not have been dis- she could not have disappeared. Her boyfriend claimed Benaz has been Benaz's bullying uncle Ari Mahmood had threatened to kill her, him and Benaz, and Benaz's father had made serious attempt on her life. Caroline Good was on call her first week in charge of this team. Not a single member of the Kurdish community had helped the police in the investigation of what happened to Benaz. There were so many people involved and people, as Caroline Good had said, they involved themselves by giving false statements to make themselves seem higher in the community. 
Caroline was incredible. She has been so amazing throughout this whole investigation. She is an incredible human being. You can't give Caroline enough. I think it's Caroline or is it Caroline? Caroline. Um, but she was incredible throughout this whole thing. She, um, without her, this case would never have been solved. Solved, no. The police, with Caroline's initiative, made contact with Bechal. She was estranged from the family. They said, your sister's missing. And the family, do I have a clue where she is? Bechal instantly knew in her heart of hearts that it has to do with the family members. She just knew with all her experiences, she knew. In early March that year, someone in the Kurdish community had found Bechal and she received a phone call saying she was going to be next, the next one to be killed. The risk to her was enormous. People knew where she was, that particular area, and the police actually moved her house to house to prevent people from finding her. It's just really organised crime. It's collective. It's just... There was too many people involved that didn't speak up, didn't say anything. It's just murder, and it's just... It's, like, very horrible. They all had blood on their hands, didn't they? The whole community was silenced. And how no one even spoke. Oh, how disgusting and volatile. There's just no words. On the 12th of December, a letter from Benaz to the police detailed so much information on the people that were going to kill Benaz. The detective spoke about this as kind of childlike writing, speaking from the grave. Grave. <laughs> grave. Grave. Benaz knew she was going to die, and she pleaded and pleaded for help about from the police, but they didn't listen. The letter was accurate in every single detail regarding these men. Omar Hussein, Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Hama. These three men, Hussein, Ali and Hama, are all cousins of Benaz and cousins of each other. Hama was arrested and the first one to be charged. It was definitely a race against the clock because there was only a particular amount of time that they could keep him in custody. The Mahmoud family had shown absolutely no interest. They didn't help one bit. The detective said that this is an absolute outrage. The two Mohammeds followed a really strange pattern of behaviour. Hammer had hired a car and there was a GPS, which meant that there was a record of where he was going. A police helicopter was sent to hover where the cars were parked. Do you think this was such a stupid thing for him to do? Bragging. Like he was bright, they were. It was the ego that got them caught. It was the ego. That's how I feel. Most criminals get caught. They boast they about have it. They're such big egos, yeah, and they're good. I had flown over the area in a police butter helicopter, looking for signs. At one point, she saw a discarded freezer on a patio of a crazy paving, but had thought nothing of it until now. So was it a signs of the disturbed earth that she was looking for? Yes, like it was that signs. she saw. Yeah, it was signs that the earth had been, like, dug up or something like that. Police were left hunting for her body using mobile phone records to trace two family members and their frequent journeys to Birmingham. They knew she was buried in a back garden in a house with brick walls, but she didn't know where. They used a police helicopter that identified many potential sites. But it was when Hummer asked his friend on the phone if anyone had found the body and if he had put the freezer back over the body that Caroline knew the site. Hammer still yapping away in prison. Did you put the freezer back on the top of the patio? He asked one of the others. 
Then finally, the house was identified. It was closed and empty. In the overgrown garden was a pile of household rubbish that included a sofa, two armchairs and a freezer. It was without its doors, which was under a hedge at the end of the garden. A forensic archaeologist spotted loose soil and began to dig. All day and nearly towards the night, forensic. He scraped away layer by layer and eventually found what he was looking for. It was a suitcase. It was too heavy to lift by hand, so they called the fire brigade. It was evacuated and the body was found in a hole stuffed inside a suitcase. It had been left beneath a leaking pipe, left to rot so badly that no DNA could be taken from her body. Wait, so when she was in the suitcase, she was in... A fetal position. She she was in a fetal position, exactly like the... Baby, when they were born. When they were born. And the investigator had actually said that the... That... She, they were really close to the story, to this case, and they were like the surrogate parents. And when she was found in a fetal position, she was like an innocent baby, like she was just an innocent child that was murdered. And a horrible way to die and to be left in that position was just a sign of her innocence. Her hunch was right, and the truth began to emerge in all its ghastly detail. An interpreter listening to the tapes was horrified to hear Hammer laughed and he boasted about anally raping Benaz before stamping on the terrified girl's head and tying a cord around her neck. This is what he said. I had my foot on her back and I was pulling so hard it was cutting into her flesh. It took the bitch more than half an hour for the soul to leave her body. Oh my god, you know, just reading that makes me feel physically sick to the stomach. It actually oh my god, does. I feel so sick. How can you brag about doing that to another human being? It's just, this is just absolutely horrifying, disgusting. beyond disturbing. These two men, there should have been a death penalty. Yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. Hundred percent. It's just just a really hard one to even research or to even. To even contemplate that happening to a young person, it's just how terrified she must have been in that moment. I can't even begin to imagine. Benaz had a really, really rough life, that's to say the least. So, Benaz's father and Ari, one of the uncles, tried to blame the others. They both claimed to these progressive and loving individuals, but Bichal, she wasn't going to have any of it. She was so courageous to give such powerful evidence against these members of her family. Benaz was murdered on the 24th of January. The suspects met at Hamas's address and made their way to Benaz's home. Her mother and father left the family home on purpose, leaving Benaz at home with one of the sisters. Benaz slept on the living room floor. She didn't have a bedroom. And as Tequila just said, of the group grisly details about what they did, these three cousins came into that house and she just woke up in her room of these men bursting in. That is just terrifying. Just absolutely terrifying. I would be terrified if someone just came. I'm yeah, so scared. so scared. Can't even imagine it. The police, police, <laughs> the police covertly recorded conversations from Hammer. The pair of them, they were laughing. The epitome of evil, blatantly boasting about what they had done giving each other slaps on the backs. Their conversations were so vile, it was unimaginable. Benaz's uncle and Ari, as we just said, they were given life sentences for the arranging of her murder. Hammer pleaded guilty and also received a life sentence. Diana Nami, she was 
um, a women's rights activist, and she was holding banners and protesting about the honour killings during the trial. And Bonanza's family actually tried to shut her down. They tried to punch her, shouting at her that she's betraying Kurdish people and she should keep quiet. Nami says that this small minority have a massive power over the larger community and she's actually defending Kurdish people against this. Honour killing statistics are very unreliable. There are also something called exports of murder in which victims are taken abroad and murdered. There are so many acts of violence against vulnerable, innocent women. We have such very little idea and a very significant underestimate at the rate of these crimes that women are going through. Omar Hussein and Mohammed Ali actually fled the UK. They were physically present at the time of her murder and they did have an active role in disposing the body. They were boasting about their actions in different areas in Iraq, and Caroline Wood was motivated to not let them get away with this murder. Omar Hussein was sheltered by his family abroad. His brother was a senior police officer. Many people in Iraq did not believe in the extradition of these two men because people felt as if they were justified in their actions, saying that she deserved to be killed. Eventually, it was found out that he had an argument with his brother and his brother shot him in the leg with an AK-47. How messed up is that? Like, okay, I'm going to have an argument and I'm just going to shoot you in the leg with an AK-47. But he did deserve that. I think he deserves a lot worse, but we are not the judges. You have to keep it PG. One of the investigators had said, you know what Caroline's like. She doesn't stop. So she actually led a team to extradite Muhammad Ali and Omar Hussein. It took them three years and no Iraqi national had ever been extradited before. And it was justice for Benaz. They both received life sentences as a result of Caroline's efforts. She received, there is justice for Benaz. These people are rotting in jail and rightfully so. These are people around the, there are people around the country who in that time saw this as being a kind of minefield. They didn't want to investigate honour killings because they were afraid of being branded as racist. Well, as ethnic minorities ourselves, I find that offensive that you wouldn't want to prosecute these criminals regardless of any ethnicity. Just because an individual is, just because criminals are in a minority community, that does not mean that you should be silent or that you should not care about their lives just because it's not in the extended community. Some people have actually said that if it's brown people killing brown people, it doesn't affect us because we're white. And I think that 1000% played a role in the sense that if Benaz was white and the girl next door kind of type, I don't think this would have happened. Her grave was unmarked for years and she had a gravestone years after her death. The best way to curb honour killings should be education, not letting these instances get swept under the carpet under the name of political correctness. I just want to end my bit by saying I think Caroline Good received the 2011 Queen's Police Medal for solving the Banaz Mahmood case and I think that she's an incredible woman. I 
this investigation without her wouldn't have been solved without her help what about you tequila did the police an independent police complaints investigation in 2008 heavily criticized two police complaints investigation in 2008 heavily criticized two police forces for failing to help Benaz while she was alive according to IKWRO report nearly 3,000 honor-based crimes took place in 2010 there's still no specialized unit to tackle these crimes Benaz was very lovely and so sweet. It was so tragic and horrific what what she had to endure all of her life. Yeah, she was definitely subjected to so much her entire life. It's something that you don't want anyone to ever go through. Even your worst enemy. Yeah, 100%. I just hope that she's resting in peace and her abusers are rotting in jail. The only positive that's come out of this case is that now the police are taking honour killings. Seriously. But they actually aren't, are they? Because it says that there still isn't an actual dedicated police unit to it. But it's because of her that now they they took cases. No, they took training and stuff like that. Yeah, they've got some more training, but it's not near the amount that needs to be done. And it's just so much more needs to be done, especially not just with training, but with specialised forces. But I don't think that'll happen anytime soon. Yeah. Because they don't understand. It's a different... Culture, it's just, it? it's something that, yeah, they need a lot more help on. But there are amazing, shout out to all the incredible charities that there are. Like, have you seen Women's Refuge in Carmen Nirvana? They're yes, incredible. They Set up by victims To help and vulnerable women speak out. There's a lot more help that women can have nowadays and a lot more safeguarding. But yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Benaz, our second, very second, our very second, our second episode of Tizrin Tequila Talk. Please, you know what to do. Check us out on all our socials. We've got a new Facebook page that we've made. Do support us. I know. I don't know what you have to do to that page. You have to join it. Join that page. Um, join our yeah. conversation. Tell us what we can do to improve. We. Oh, learning as we go along. Yeah, this is a learning curve. Check everything. We've got Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. What else do we have, Kila? We've got YouTube. We have everything. So thank you very much. Goodbye. Peace out. <laughs> Say bye. Bye.